Welcome back to another episode of the Mama To Be Honest podcast. My name is Jenea, and this is episode nine. Happy Mother's Day. We took a week off last week for Mother's Day. I just refused to do anything on Mother's Day, including think about recording an episode. But I am so happy to be back, and I hope all of you mamas had a wonderful Mother's Day and you didn't do anything, or if you did anything, that you did whatever it is you wanted to do. So I hope that it was a restful one, a relaxing one, and that you're going into a very blessed and relaxed weekend. It is later in a Friday evening right now for me. I usually try to record late Friday afternoons after work since that's kind of the best time for me to do it before I go and get my kids. But our last couple of days have been a bit hectic and today didn't really go as planned. So here I am. It is almost 8 p.m. The sun is still beaming though and our kids are down and it's just the perfect time for me to get in front of the microphone and spill all of the thoughts that I've been kind of brewing up in my head this week. This week's episode is going to be purely about breastfeeding and breast milk. I got a ton of questions about breastfeeding and breast milk in our last AMA, and I kind of reserved a lot of them for today. So really excited to kind of get going. Trying to think of any personal updates. Oh, my son is walking. I am so excited that he is walking. It is kind of bizarre to see him upright. (laughs) And I think any mamas who have experienced this milestone and have gone through it, maybe with one kid, multiple kids, it is just mind-blowing every time to see your baby be so upright and mobile after seeing them go through so many of the grounded milestones. So things like rolling from front to back and back to front, crawling, scooting. He scooted for the longest time. He was kind of coasting on the couch, holding on to things and just scooting sideways. And then he, in the last few weeks, started just scooting himself with one knee on the ground and the and other foot kind of just like dragging the knee, if that makes sense. <laughs> so we were just like, we were, we were totally expecting him to not walk until like 18 months. But Yesterday, when I picked him up from school, he uh, his his teachers were just like, "Oh yeah, he's walking today." I'm like, "What?" And I was I'm not gonna lie, I was a little sad that he took his first like real real steps at school, but that's just the way it is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be too upset about it. And so when we got him home, I set him down, and sure enough, he's just totally cruising. He is gone, and it was so funny. I mentioned this on my Instagram, but the way he's walking. It, it seems like he's known how to walk for a while because of how long he lasts without falling down. Because usually when babies walk, they take a few steps, like maybe five or six steps, and then they fall or they lose their balance. He is like fully walking. <laughs> I'm just like, you little snake, you have just not wanted to walk for this long. I'm totally kidding, but it ju- it just seems that way. So really exciting update for Malachi. He is just a few days shy of his 16-month birthday. So I am I'm really, really excited for him. And I'm also a bit nervous because upright mobile babies means boo-boos and bonking of the heads and losing balance and just a lot of overconfidence that toddlers tend to have at this age, especially when they start to walk. So I just remember so many owies that Jade had when she started walking and I need to kind of keep myself under control because it's just bound to happen. Yesterday was also a really emotional day for me, (laughs) like stressful, emotional. Uh, So when we brought Malachi home and he was walking, Jade was sitting down at the dining table and she stepped on her high chair wrong and she hit her chin on the dining table. And I swear, I feel like all kids have a propensity to hurt themselves in a certain spot. One of my friends, her her baby always, it's always like really scuffing the knees or like foreheads or head bonks. With Jade, it's always her lip. Without fail, she will always hurt her lip. And this one was scary because she kind of bit through her lip a little bit. And I thought it had gone all the way through. And so we had to take her to the ER. Maurice took her to the ER yesterday. And luckily, she didn't need stitches. They just 
cleaned it up a little bit and gave her a little bit of skin glue for where where the the gash had gone through her lip and she was totally fine. We're giving her a little bit of Tylenol to, you know, just make her feel comfortable and to help help with the swelling. But man, whenever things like this happen, I am just a total wreck. I try my best to keep keep my cool, but it's really hard when you've got a really anxious personality, like worry wart personality like I do. It's it's kind of it's it's hard. It's hard to keep your cool. So I'm very glad that Maurice had to like took her to the ER and and told me to stay here because I don't know how I would have done in that situation. <laughs> I'm getting better at it, but it's still it's still really hard and I feel like all moms can can resonate with that type of reaction. I'm trying to think of any other life updates I have. We are celebrating my birthday this weekend, which is nice. We were supposed to have kind of a mom and dad day date today, but I kept JD home because of her lip and I wanted to just make sure that she didn't mess with the with the skin glue. So we kind of took her with us on like a little, <laughs> we took this re- really cute little walk out on the bayfront and then we took a stroll through Ikea. I don't remember how, I don't remember the last time we had been to Ikea. So that was a really fun place to be. It's actually a really great place for toddlers to go when it's not busy. So we went we went obviously on a Friday mid-morning and it was the perfect time to go. Nobody was there. Jade was so fascinated. She sat in every chair and we were trying, we were looking for a new bed for her, like a big girl bed. We didn't find one that we liked, but it was still good to kind of get out and, and take a fun little stroll through, uh, through Ikea. And then we went to lunch at one of our old favorite restaurants in Emeryville with Jade and she did so well and it was just a great day. One thing I'm realizing is like we had we had her today and Malachi was at school and one thing I that just came to our minds is like well okay as our kids get older it's going to be really important for us to have solo time with them as they get older and as they feel like maybe they have to share space with their with their siblings. I've I've never have had to deal with that growing up. I didn't grow up with siblings. I have a half brother, but he was born when I was 16 years old. So yeah, Maurice, you know, kind of mentioned, you know, I always loved having time solo with my dad and my mom and just having that dedicated time because most of the other time you're you're sharing space with your siblings, which is great, but to have that special time with your parents is really meaningful. So having that day with Jess Jade today was really special. And I know that we're going to have to do the same with Malachi and any other babies that we bring into our family. So yeah, it was a great day. And I am looking forward to having a nice weekend with with friends. And we're just going to dinner tomorrow night, which is going to be nice at one of my favorite restaurants in Berkeley. So just to be able to see everyone and to have a little bit of a night out is is going to be fun. So let us get started with this week's episode. So I don't really have a set agenda for how I want to go into breastfeeding. I kind of just want to go because there are so many things that I think about with breastfeeding. There are so many memorable moments in my in both of the breastfeeding journeys that I've had so far with both of my kids. Breastfeeding to me has been the hardest thing I think I've done outside of labor and delivery itself. It, I don't think it was something I thought about or knew enough about. That in itself made it really, really hard to to even get started with breastfeeding. It's also one of the most special things I think I've done. There's just something about being able to give your baby nutrition from your literal body that is just so incredible, so amazing. And I will always cherish every breastfeeding journey I have. And I think the fact that it is so freaking hard makes it that much more special and rewarding and intimate with with this little baby that you have just given birth to. So I think we'll start with just the early days of breastfeeding as 
told by my own experiences. And the the more memorable the more memorable experience is going is obviously going to be my my first round of breastfeeding because I literally had no idea what I was doing. When I was pregnant with Jade, I had planned to breastfeed, although I didn't really know what that meant entirely. Shout out to a friend of mine who actually corrected me on my initial kind of approach to thinking this. So when like before, before I was pregnant, I literally had thought that breastfeeding meant giving your child breast milk that comes from your body. So things like pumping into a bottle and bottle feeding. Lo and behold, that actually is considered breastfeeding by the exclusive pumping community. So I'm so glad to be educated on that. But that was what I was under the assumption of. So breastfeeding, nursing, kind of interchangeable there. So I had planned to breastfeed Jade when I was pregnant with her. But I also was kind of under the pretense that I would be able to so easily kind of interchange between breastfeeding and bottle feeding and she would just be this really easy flexible baby and (laughs) that wasn't the case for my experience but when I had given birth to her I had expressed the fact that I wanted to breastfeed and so in those very kind of early hours especially like right right when they give you the baby right when the jade is on my chest they immediately encouraged like, trying to latch. So getting baby on the breast, initiating contact and be able, being able to establish that physical bond. And it's funny because I had no idea what to expect or what kind of technique to follow or if anything was coming out. And it nothing, I felt nothing come out. Like it felt like there was no substance coming out of my boobs, (laughs) like nothing. But they just know what to do. And that was the case with both Jade and Malachi. They just came out of the womb kind of knowing what to do. And they initially they just they just started sucking. And it was it's a crazy thing to to witness because you're just like, oh my gosh, it's just such an intuition for babies to want to get nutrition from from their mama. And from that point, it's really about creating and producing a productive and correct and optimal latch from baby's mouth to breast. And in those first few days, for me was so excruciatingly painful so painful. I remember being in the postpartum unit, just feeling I I could tell she was hungry, she was starving. And the nurses had reassured me that, you know, like your milk doesn't really come in until a few days later. And so you're working on these first few days to just get your latch down, get a good latch down. I had no idea what that meant. It was really hard to push through the pain of a baby like munching on your nipple and it is so painful it's so painful that first first few days at least it was for me I just remember and I'm gonna get a little TMI here I just remember bleeding and bright red and just not good and I knew something was wrong and the, the nurses and the lactation consultants at the hospital really tried to help me get the correct uh, the correct positioning for her and the right angle and you know the the optimal the optimal angle for her to be you know leaning on me and and what like her nose position her nose position to like my areola there are just so many things and it's so overwhelming you kind of feel like a failure in those first few days. And I feel like nothing, nothing's happening. And so those first few days are really, really tough because you're kind of doubting like if you're doing it everything correctly, if your baby's even eating, should I, should I, you know, give, should I supplement with formula or should I wait it out and trust that, you know, the milk is going to come after that initial like pre-milk, which is, it's called the colostrum. So that is what you're going to see first from your breasts is 
like this pre, it's like this pre-milk. And the phases of your milk are so intentional for baby's nutrition. So it's the colostrum and then your milk finally comes in. And luckily, luckily with us, we were able to, I think it was a few days after we got home from the hospital, we were able to go back to another lactation consultant. And let me tell you, (laughs) when you are given lactation consultants, it really, really depends on the one you get for how helpful they are. And this is no shade to lactation consultants. God bless them. But I had to go through two or three of them to get one that actually really helped me understand. And I don't know if it was just a timing thing or where I was at mentally, but it really took a lot of support and the right person to help me get the optimal breastfeeding relationship and the optimal latch with Jade. And so this this lactation consultant that we went to a few days after we had gone home from the hospital, I was still in so much pain. My nipples were bleeding all the time. I would dread having to like go through a nursing session with her. And I felt like she wasn't getting anything. She hadn't lost. So when you come back from going home, after the first few days, you bring them back and they they kind of weigh the baby to see how the breastfeeding relationship is going. The baby is going to lose weight after the first few days, and that's to be expected. But if they lose too much weight, that's kind of a sign of okay, let's get you know a bit uh, a, a bit better breastfeeding down to ensure that they are getting as much nutrition as they can. Jade had, was like borderline, like uh, she lost weight. Uh, She didn't lose too much weight, but there probably could be a better, she could be getting more from me. And that was just devastating to hear. I was just like, oh God, like I'm not feeding my baby, like what's going on? And so luckily the lactation consultant there was able to literally move my hand in positions to how to hold like my breast, how to hold Jade with the other hand to make sure that she was at the right angle to have like her chin up and her nose a certain way like on my breast and to ensure that the sucking was was the best it could be for her to like actually pull milk from my breast this stuff is crazy (laughs) and the instant she'd made those little adjustments in that one appointment it was like the floodgates had opened and all of the milk that was in my body just like released (laughs) was crazy. And just those little adjustments helped me understand, okay, this doesn't need to be so excruciatingly painful. Here are the things that I was doing wrong. Like my angle is wrong. I was, it was a really shallow latch that we had, that we had. um, And that was leading to a lot of the pain that I was experiencing. So if you are looking to breastfeed, but really don't know how it's going to go, as as much as it might not be helpful the first time around, continue seeking out lactation consulting support. It was not helpful for me in the hospital. And I think it really just has to do with like my mentality at that point. Like I'm trying to learn this brand new skill. I have this brand new baby. I have no idea what I'm doing. Just like perfect storm for failure. If you are just determined and adamant to like get things going and 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 to get things fruitful and optimal, just to continue seeking out that lactation consultant support because it eventually did help me. So the lactation consultant was able to get a nursing set. She weighed, she literally weighed Jade, made those adjustments, had me nurse, and then weighed her again. And she had gained like, I don't know how many ounces, but you could see that she had gained like a lot of that milk that she had just drawn from my breast, like crazy stuff. And so, yeah, the first the first few days are just so freaking excruciating, but we eventually got it down. And I think it was that it was that first few days, even like a full week of just pain that I can fully understand why many women just throw in the towel because it is so freaking painful. It is excruciating. And this is, again, this is only, this is only speaking on breastfeeding that is successful because there are so many different situations with moms that aren't able to produce milk or the baby 
might have latching issues in the form of a tongue tie or a lip tie, which basically doesn't allow them to latch and draw milk effectively, which leads to, you know, having to resort to other methods of nutrition, whether it's exclusive pumping or formula, which are also wonderful ways to to make sure your baby gets the, the, the nutrition that they need. The first few days slash week was excruciating, not to mention the engorgement. Oh my goodness. So when you get home from the hospital, your milk likely still has not come in. And that was the case for me. And when people say, oh, your milk hasn't come in, your milk hasn't come in, I'm like, gosh, what does that mean? And I knew what it meant. When I woke up on day two after getting back from the hospital, my my breasts were in so much pain because you go through what's called engorgement. So once your colostrum is done and your milk has finally come in, you are engorged. And the feeling of engorgement is, it it's so hard to describe. It's like, it's the worst pain and swelling that you'll ever feel in, ever feel in your breasts, minus like a baby munching on your nipples for the first time. It is so painful. And even trying to relieve it with pumping and nursing is hard because the engorgement is so intense. Um, and it just takes that consistency of, 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 of relieving and getting the milk flowing and getting it moving. So yeah, the first, the first week was, was really excruciating, but then it really is only trial, trial and error until you get that good latch relationship down and then it gets so much better. And once I got through that first week, we were off to the races a little too much so because my daughter never was able to take a bottle. She never took a bottle. And so she was exclusively breastfed up until the time my milk dried up around the seven month mark, which was pretty sad for me. But I am very grateful that I got to breastfeed her for for so long. But it really takes some time. And I think if if you are an expecting mama that is really looking to breastfeed and say you're able to breastfeed with, you know, with, with, with no, with no meaningful roadblocks that are kind of out of your control, lean on the support you can, you can get. So lactation consultants, other moms that, you know, have tried tips and tricks that have worked for them. It really will make all the difference. And for, and I don't want to say for every situation because every situation is different, but just try and push through as much as you can. Like really, really try and push through as much as you can. Different techniques, topicals, nipple butter, things that are just going to get you that relief, especially if you want to pursue that that breastfeeding relationship, that breastfeeding journey with your baby. It is not nearly talked about enough in the nine months prior to giving birth. And I will take partial responsibility for that, for not having done, you know, more research on my own on, on, on what I, how I should be preparing myself. But yeah, the mental hurdles you go through in that first week and wanting to kind of throw in the towel are so real. And I think there's not as much adequate support as there should be in those first, in those, in those nine months predating labor and delivery, because you kind of just jump into it and you have no idea what you're doing or how it's going to go. So yeah, the first the first week is is kind of intense. Shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about what it's like once you've established a really good breastfeeding relationship and a good latch and you're kind of off to the races on your breastfeeding journey and you are committed or you're set on breastfeeding and maintaining your milk supply for some period of time. It is legitimately a full-time job. It is crazy how much time and effort and physical exertion goes into breastfeeding and breast milk storage. And it's it for for moms the, I feel like a lot of moms who breastfeed also store breast milk for things like you know, mixing into other food or bottle feeding or just supplementing and having a good stash on hand. A lot of a lot of moms do that who who breastfeed their babies. And so it's not only the breastfeeding aspect 
of, you know, nursing your child and feeding them literal chest to mouth. It is the actual organization and the structure of storing breast milk and labeling breast milk and pumping around the clock in between in between feedings and making sure you have a good system in place and have a good support system in place. Thinking about things like traveling with your baby or being out in public with your baby and knowing that your breastfeeding relationship is going to kind of be the center of all of that and and knowing how you're going to navigate your life and your baby's life around your breastfeeding relationship is so incredibly important and it's and it's life-changing. It really is. And I think people often underestimate or under underscore just how much work goes into it. All of the things you need to do to ensure that your your milk supply is is fruitful and it and it continues and your baby is receiving your your liquid gold that optimal nutrition around the clock it really is a full-time job on top of being a parent and this also goes to exclusively pumping mamas as well pumping around the clock and being able to pull all of that nutrition from your body for your baby it is legitimately a full, a full-time job and so i just want to call that out i think some things that really stick out to me on kind of how like what made my breastfeeding journeys very successful for the time I was able to breastfeed is just setting up a really really good environment for nursing and making you as mama as comfortable as possible. I remember I remember only being able to have really, really productive nursing sessions with a really good rocking chair. So a really good rocker, my feet elevated, the right pillow for support for baby. And that's really what got the angle and the flow of milk really at its best for every nursing session. So really investing in the right equipment and the right space and just the optimal environment really made for a fruitful nursing environment for me, for baby, and I truly believe for my for my own milk supply. Another thing I think I developed really well in both breastfeeding journeys is just developing a strong understanding and a really good sense of when my body was telling me that it was time to nurse or to pump. And it's crazy because you'll have, I mean, you won't only feel it physically in, you won't only feel it physically in your breasts. Like you will feel when you are full and you are ready, you are ready to let it out and you'll even be leaking. (laughs) You'll be leaking all over the place. But even when I get a whiff of baby scent, this is going to sound so weird. When I get a whiff of baby scent or if I hear baby crying, I would start leaking crazy, crazy stuff. Your body just develops that intuition of when it's time to release milk, when it's time to pump, when it's time to nurse. And so having that intuition as part of my breastfeeding journey was really wild (laughs) and kind of like a superpower. It is a superpower. So let's talk about actual nursing sessions. So, so many different things come to mind for me for the actual baby to boob, latching, having a nursing session that stick out for both of my breastfeeding journeys. Things things from like what helps baby digest better, products I use when there's just so many different nuances to to my nursing sessions that I that I remember. Usually when I nursed my when I nursed my kids, I would start, obviously you start on, you can't, they can't be on both boobs at the same time. So you start, I start on the fuller side and usually the way that I would know which side to start on without feeling it, right? Um, And it's so funny because most breastfeeding mamas will have like 
a winning boob. Like there is one boob that will produce oh, way overproduce the other boob. And it's so funny because you want them to be like be fairly be even. But for me, both times, it was the right boob. Always. It was always right boob. Right boob was the winner. But I would try my best for every nursing session to start on the boob that I did not end with in the prior nursing session, if that makes sense, just to make sure that milk is being drawn as equally as possible to make sure that milk supply is kind of flowing productively through both of my breasts. And so I would use an app called Baby Tracker to kind of log nursing sessions, time nursing sessions, and it would also let me keep track of left or right boob. So that kind of helped me be on top of, okay, which boob should baby start on, which boob, which boob, um, which boob has gotten more or less attention, and just kind of give me a better sense of, you know, have I been, have basically avoiding over-favoring one, one breast. So that was really helpful for me. Another thing that is incredibly helpful for nursing sessions is to always nurse with both boobs, even if baby gets enough with one boob. So what I'll tend to do, what I tended to do was stop halfway, kind of burp, burp baby halfway through once one boob is kind of done, burp baby, and then get him onto the other breast. And usually what happened with both kids for me is they would get enough from the first. And so my second would not be emptied all the way. And so either way, like, I'm still glad that I would kind of go on both breasts, though, since it would help me with like my angle practice and making sure that baby was used to switching breasts so that they never got to the point of favoring one. At the end of every session, I would still kind of feel full, right? And um, I would have to pump out the rest of that milk, which was great because I could just, you know, store the milk and use it for later. Another great product that I would use during nursing sessions, so for for that exact reason of not being able to empty out the other boob, is while baby is on the first boob, I would stick a haka which is basically a manual breast pump to my other breast. And so what that does is when your baby is nursing, your letdown reflex, so what's called the letdown reflex, your other boob is already leaking milk while your baby is is sucking on the other one. So you want to be able to catch that milk and essentially not let it go to waste or not let it go into your nursing bra or your breast pad. You want to be able to save all that milk. So while that was happening and knowing that I wouldn't ha- my baby wouldn't be able to get all the remaining milk out of that other breast, the haka would just catch all of the milk and I would be able to kind of pour it into a baggie and store it for later. That's a product I will use for every breastfeeding journey. It is so freaking good. But yeah, I was talking about letdown. So letdown is essentially the reflex or the response that your breast has that signals, it basically signals you to let down your milk or to begin releasing your milk. And it's so funny because, and most breastfeeding mamas can attest to this, your letdown can happen at the most random times. (laughs) It will, for me, it happened every time before I stepped into the shower, like the steam or the sound of the shower. I don't know what it was. My breasts would just start letting, like my letdown would happen and I would just be spewing milk everywhere. It's crazy. And again, like sound of baby's cries or you get a whiff of your baby and your breasts just start leaking. It is it is kind of crazy what your bodies <laughs> are capable of doing. But the Hakka is another great option for being able to store milk and um, not having to resort to that last kind of pumping session if your baby doesn't uh, release all of the milk um, during um, during a nursing session. So feel like I'm a little all over the place, but that's okay. We are going to run with it. (laughs) I got a lot of great questions. So I think let's go into some of those and we can go from there. So A.E. Williams. Hi, Abby. Abby is one of my really close friends and she's also married to Maurice's best friend. So we are one big happy family. Abby asks, what was the worst advice someone gave you on your breastfeeding journeys? That is a wonderful question. So I don't think this piece of advice was 
it, I, don't, I don't think it came from a like a place of bad intention. I don't think it was. I don't think it even was like a misplaced piece of advice, but I had gotten a piece of advice around not feeding on demand or not giving in to cluster feeds because it would just develop really bad habits for baby. So for those who don't know, cluster feeding is basically when baby is going through either a growth spurt or a change and they just want to nurse like every 30 minutes or every hour, as opposed to every two to three hours, like they should be in the very beginning. And I, after some time, I rejected that piece of advice, you know, in within within my own, within my own kind of mentality, because I think in especially with Jade, she was exclusively exclusively breastfed. I had just can't like I'd come to understand that she found a lot of comfort and like not even just nutrition she found a lot of comfort and closeness in in breastfeeding and you know just being close to mommy and as hard as the early months were with with Jade and her sleeping and you know us having to um, me having to nurse her to sleep I really think that it like that closeness and having to nurse around, nurse kind of around the clock and nurse on demand more than say the average situation. I think it really gave her the comfort that she needed. And it really gave me a lot of practice. Like let's think, let's, let's think like tactically here. It gave me a lot of like the practice that I need to develop that really long-term breastfeeding um, skill and capability with her through those really hard nights of cluster feeding and, and feeding on demand, feeding around the clock. And I don't think that piece of advice came from a bad place. I think it was more like, you know, get get your time back or get baby on a better schedule. And we eventually did. It just didn't happen right away. And so I was feeding her around the clock, like every hour. She she was she was not a colicky baby, but she was really, really wanted that closeness. And I am so glad that I didn't follow that piece of advice. So I don't say I wouldn't say it was the worst, like it was really bad advice, but it was it was advice that just didn't work with my situation. And I just kind of knew what she needed from me. And having to go through those months of cluster feeding or, you know, feeding on a more frequent schedule than most people would recommend, it worked for it worked for her. So I made it I made it work for me, even though it wasn't easy in the early months. So great question. Mary, Marathon Kate, I finally got her handle correct. Marathon Kate. She asked a lot of questions this week. I'm going to pick a few of them. A lot of great questions, uh, Mary Kate. And I think I answered some of them in the episode already. Mary Kate says, I always hear horror stories about how painful it is. True. Does it go away? True. Yes, it is true. (laughs) It is true. Does it go away? Yes. And if it's something you're considering, please, please, please stick with it. Or please consider all of the resources that you have to manage that pain because uh, like lactation consultants are going to tell you it should not be painful. And I think that's true to a certain degree. It should not be painful forever. I think it's going to, it's, it's like developing a callus. This is a really bad, (laughs) really bad analogy because your breasts don't become calluses. They just get used, they just get used to nursing your baby and breastfeeding. But it's like developing a callus. It will be painful at first, but then you're just going to be playing guitar for the rest of your life (laughs) when you develop your callus. So it is painful. Horror stories, uh, it depends on what you define as horror stories. It is, it was incredibly painful the first week, but with the resources, it, it quickly became not painful. (laughs) It became natural and it it becomes just, it's like breathing. Another question that you asked, how often do babies need to be fed at night? 
Great question. So this changes with age. So when you bring them home, it is recommended to feed them every two to three hours. Again, with both of my kids, when I brought them home, I tend to be a little more frequent frequent with that, especially with Jade. But every two to three hours is what's recommended. Babies need a lot of feeding sessions in the early ages because their stomachs are so small and their stomachs just gradually get bigger so they can hold more milk with age. And so your, your feeding sessions can be um, a bit further apart as they get older. So like once they become a certain number of months older, I think you can go between like three to four hours, four to five hours, and then you'll start to really understand like with the fullness of your breasts and with your baby's hunger cues or the signals that they're giving to you that they're hungry, you'll start to get a better feel of that. But in the beginning, it's recommended to be two to three hours. But for me, it was more one and a half to two with with both of my kids. And that's why the early stages are so hard because this is literally around the clock. So when you bring them home, you're not, there is no, there is no sleeping through the night. (laughs) Unfortunately, when you get home, they need to be fed every two to three hours. How we were able to satisfy that is we would set alarms, really excruciating to have to do that. But I mean, with Jade, she was waking us up anyway, and we, we didn't even go two to three hours without, you know, it's not like we would you know sleep three hours and then wake up and she'd have to eat again. No, it wasn't like that. I was just up all the time. With Malachi, though, he was a much better sleeper. And we would have to kind of wake him in the early months to get a to get a feeding in. And that boy knew how to eat and he knew how to sleep. <laughs> okay, next question. Did you notice a difference in how you felt physically and mentally when you started and stopped? Great question. So started. So it's one thing I want to call out when you start breastfeeding. And I noticed this. I noticed this way more with Malachi. When you come home from the hospital and, and you're pretty, you know, kind of you just have like immense swelling, or at least that's what I did, what I had. I had immense swelling coming home from the hospital. You're carrying all this, this water weight, this swelling, um, also just the baby weight. Breastfeeding is crazy because it helps you drop weight like that. I, it is kind of why, like without even trying, it is wild to think about. I think I dropped 24 pounds just breastfeeding in I forget it was like the first I think it's like the first eight weeks after bringing Malachi home and it's you're just exerting a lot of like unrecognized physical energy and extra calories just by feeding your baby and it helps and I don't know if the majority of it is water or what but I would just be like ravenous for food. I would feel my, I would have like hot sweats while I was going through breastfeeding, like early, early breastfeeding. And I would just be like drenched in the middle of the night, like having to change my clothes. And I was just dropping weight because of the around the clock breastfeeding. So that's a very common occurrence physically when you start breastfeeding is you drop a ton of weight. And it's great because, you know, you're trying to drop the baby weight eventually, but it, it eventually, you know, kind of plateaus. And that's just the experience that I had, but way more, way more with Malachi. And, and you also asked, did you notice a difference in how you felt physically and mentally when you stopped? I think it was really hard for me when I stopped. I was very emotional. It's also very painful to have to stop this more so was painful the first time because you um you know your your body isn't producing anymore but it still at some cadence wants to release milk and so like going through the stop like the actually stopping the milk supply can be painful and there are certain um remedies that you can do for it we use <laughs> i used cabbage leaves i would just put cabbage leaves in my bra and it would help with with the swelling and in that that kind of stopping engorgement, but I I definitely noticed more of a mental uh, the mental piece for me when I stopped. It was really emotional for me to let go of that, 
luck I'm very lucky that my kids did not take much weaning with breastfeeding once once they I think once they realized they weren't going to get the nutrition from me as much anymore like they took to formula and eventually whole milk really really easily and then obviously they're already supplementing with other foods once once breastfeeding is is slowed or even um even to complement it during so it was it was really mentally uh, tough for me because you you know that's where your your closeness and your bond as a mother is it is developed um, for many for many for many women is is when you're breastfeeding and the um, if you, you just think about the number of nursing sessions you have with your baby and that closeness and just looking at each other it's really it's really close and it's really beautiful and to not have that anymore where you're you know physically giving them the nutrition and having that that closeness in those moments in those so many moments every day is really was really tough for me to to let go of this next question comes from naira b how long did your nursing sessions take really good question so in the very beginning when my latch was not great it was, oh my God, I remember being in the hospital just doing like hour long nursing sessions with nothing coming out. It was just excruciating. And those early ones, we were just trying to do whatever you can, figuring out the angle. I would just have really long, unproductive nursing sessions with just no milk coming out for my baby. It's just the worst. But when I developed a really productive breastfeeding uh, when I was when I got my breastfeeding down, and when you know me and baby got we nailed it down. Nursing sessions typically would last anywhere from fifteen to thirty minutes. I had an incredibly fast flow of milk, also. So my babies, when you know when we got that relationship down, they were able to get a full belly after 15 minutes, which is uh, pretty, pretty great, because that means we weren't, you know, spending a whole hour in in the nursery. And if we were out and about, then baby could get kind of a full feeding in in a short amount of time. So really lucky that I had a fast flow and that we developed with practice that kind of optimal latch and sucking and they were able to get all the milk they needed within like a 15 to 30 minute nursing session. And that's with both breasts. So really great. Okay, we'll do a couple more questions. This one is really good. And it was submitted anonymously. And I'm really excited to be candid with my response here. So this person asks, did you follow pump and dump? I'm not going to lie. Since bringing my baby home, I've had a few drinks and I really don't know how to account for pumping or nursing after having had a few. What did you do? Really good question. So let's just lay it all out on the table here. Pumping and dumping has always been kind of the go-to like thing you should do if you've if you've had drinks. Like you should if you've if you've had something to drink, you shouldn't be feeding your baby that milk. It'll have some kind of alcohol content in, in there that would, you know, irritate your baby, obviously not be good for your baby. And again, none of this is medical advice. <laughs> this is just kind of what has worked for us and the things that I have noticed. Um, when I brought my babies home and I kind of did, you know, develop any like I and I returned to s- social drinking while even while breastfeeding, right? I would try my best to not drink before, like if I, if I knew a nursing session was going to happen, like immediately after that. I didn't resume drinking until my kids had started taking like long, like longer in between sessions. So they were until after they were like a few months old. And so I wouldn't, I was just way too scared to do that. But there was obviously still those situations where I would, you know, drink, like I have a glass of wine or a couple glasses of wine, and I would need to either pump or nurse the baby. And I would be like, okay, what do I do? Like, do I just like not feed my baby? Do I just throw out this milk instead of saving it? And so 
I will be fully transparent here. <laughs> there have definitely been sessions where I haven't waited until, you know, I am like, I haven't, I've just didn't wait six hours to feed my baby, right? My, my baby needs to eat. And we never saw any like crazy adverse reactions or, or side effects. Were those in, like, were those instances very frequent? No, like maybe, maybe one or two times. But in terms of pumping and dumping, so that is actually something that I never really did. And here is why I, and this is from like other, other moms, other recommendations, and even from, for even from my OB, drinking while breastfeeding, I, the rule of thumb that I was given and that I followed was if you feel safe to drive, then you are safe to nurse. And that's generally what I followed. If I felt a little buzzed, I would wait. And the way that I would, the way that I would minimize having to be like, oh, shoot, I need to feed my baby is I wouldn't have a glass of wine until right after a nursing session, which which is the maximum amount of time before I, I would have to nurse again. So this would, I didn't start drinking until after my babies would be able to go long stretches without feedings. So I would have a glass of wine, for example, after I fed Malachi for the last time before he went to bed and he was already sleeping maybe a six or seven hour stretch at night. And so I know I would be safely able to have a glass of wine. But that's not to say like maybe that's the wrong approach. Um, That's just how I managed and minimized the potential risk. But again, everyone is different. I have heard that pumping and dumping can be a waste of that liquid gold. Obviously, if you are <laughs> obviously if you are gone, you should not be breastfeeding. But that's kind of just what has worked for me and worked. And um, I've just been really careful with the number of drinks I've had, and it's mostly been like a glass of red wine or a couple glasses of red wine and then timing it correctly to where I would not have the alcohol content in my milk as much as it would be if I were to like nurse directly after that or after the alcohol had had gotten into my into my system. I'll I'll do one more question. This question is from Kendra. Hi Kendra. What are some of your favorite products for breast milk storage and breastfeeding? Great question. I love this question. And I will be sure to add some links in either in the description or um, or elsewhere. I mentioned a couple of them. Um, the Haka is one I will live and die for. I love that thing. It's literally just like a squeezy thing that you put on your boob when you're nursing. My favorite breastfeeding pillow is the boppy there are a lot of breastfeeding pillows on the market the boppy has just worked for us for both it's really firm it uh, the baby seems to like it you can also repurpose it as like a tummy time pillow or like a prop pillow safely and it is um, a really good and kind of compact breastfeeding pillow Whenever I have to nurse in public or out of the house, even though it's just such a pain, I always bring the boppy with me and I keep it in the car. And the best way that I like to nurse in public is just going, sitting in the front seat, like moving the seat all the way back and having as much room in the front seat with baby as possible, putting the boppy around my waist and breastfeeding in the car. This is the the most comfortable way for me. It's the quietest. I, I just, I love to do that. So the boppy is great. Hofish <laughs> nursing bras from Amazon. It's like, I don't know if it's a reputable brand, but those bras are the most comfortable nursing bras. I still wear them and I'm not breastfeeding right now. <laughs> they they unclip so easily for easy boob access and they really support you. So I I, I take the pads out because I don't like them. But even without the pads, just the stretch that goes into the nursing bras are great. I have a Skims nursing bra that is really for like thinner blouses or t-shirts that I really do like. It's kind of expensive, so I would only ever buy one. Um, I but it's really good quality, and I do I do recommend that. Breast pads, 
breast pads, breast pads, breast pads, bamboobies, breast pads that are washable, reusable have been really good for me. Although if you are a big leaker like I am, do not wear them overnight because you will leak out of the pad no matter what kind of reusable pad you use in your in your nursing bras. Use use disposable because those just hold so much more liquid when you when you leak at night and you don't want to get breast milk all over. Oh my god. Horror story for me. I had like slept the first night I had slept through the night with Jade. I leaked all over the master bed because I my alarm for my pump my pump session my midnight pump session didn't go off and I just leaked all over our bed and we had to wash all the sheets and clean the mattress it had like leaked through everywhere how <laughs> how embarrassing but that's because I'd use the dispose the reusable instead of the disposable so I I would I would say always have both on hand but overnight if you are a big leaker use disposable I use the Lansino and those are really great and they stick well to your nursing bras and they hold a lot of of leak of leaky milk. In terms of breast milk storage, I don't really have a pump recommendation because I just got the cheapo pump from the hospital that was covered by my insurance and it's always worked well for me. And I also just use the Haka. I don't I don't have like a big pump recommendation, but I am a stickler for pump bags. So I only, only use Medela breast milk bags because they are so sturdy. You could stand them up vertically on your counter. And I can't tell you how many times I've used other bags and they've just spilled or toppled over and all my milk is just gone. And it's just so depressing. I don't think there's anything more depressing than (laughs) either having your milk sit in a haka on the counter and you knock it over or... You haven't zipped up your bag and you bump the bag and the bag just like spills all of your beautifully hard worked for liquid gold onto the ground. (laughs) So Medela storage bags are the best breast milk bag. I stand by that. I take that to my grave (laughs) and they're a little pricey, but I think they're worth it. And they also really help thaw out the milk better when um, when you are are melting it for for a bottle. So I think we're going to stop there. This episode is a little all over the place, but I really just wanted to get it out there. <laughs> and I really wanted to start talking about breastfeeding. I think we're definitely going to have another conversation on breastfeeding because I do have a special guest coming on in probably a couple of months to talk about everything breastfeeding with me. She is super knowledgeable in the breastfeeding space and breast milk space. So I'm really excited to get her on the show. We do not have a date set for that recording. I've only done, obviously you guys have known, I've only I've only done two guests and having them in person has been really great. So I'm trying to get a good setting for me and this person to be able to record in person and I don't know. I'm just not ready to do like guests over Zoom yet because I think there's just so many different technicality issues that come with that. And to be able to record and edit live conversation is just um, really great. I hope you guys enjoyed this kind of sporadic, chaotic episode. (laughs) I'm sorry if you didn't. Next week is episode 10. I cannot believe we are already at 10 episodes. It is such a cool little milestone for the podcast. And I am really just grateful that you guys have listened to my content so far. You've listened to all the episodes and you've been enjoying. I would love to hear your feedback and suggestions or topic ideas that you have. As always, I've gotten a lot of great questions. So I'm going to continue posing out um, AMAs every week on my Instagram. I'm also thinking about, if you've made it this far, I'm thinking about doing a 1000 follower giveaway on my Instagram. I am almost at 1000 followers. And that might not sound like much, but that is a really huge milestone and accomplishment for me. I started the Mama To Be Honest Instagram page a little over a year ago. And what a year it has been. I didn't really start taking content seriously and like my my mama page seriously until a few months ago, like during the holiday season. And just to kind of see like where the engagement's gone and how much um, how much you guys have loved the content, how much I love creating it has been really amazing. And so like getting to a thousand has has 
um, it's going to be a really special moment for me. So I'm thinking about doing a giveaway. So if you've gotten this far into the episode, I'm going to give you a secret word to use during that giveaway when I launch it. So the secret word is Haka, H-A-A-K-A-A. We talked about it in this episode. If you remember that word, when I launch my giveaway, I'm going to have like a little extra entries opportunity for those who are are podcast listeners. So remember that word as an extra way to get entries into the giveaway. So again, that word is Haka, H-A-A-K-A-A. Remember that for when we get the giveaway going for our thousand follower giveaway. I think that should probably happen in a couple of weeks, just like at the rate that I get new followers. So thank you for tuning in this week. Shoot me a message on Instagram or TikTok if you want to chat. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye.